How firm a foundation. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have Fear not, he is with us. Fear not, he is with us, so be not dismayed, for he is our God, our sustainer and strength. He'll be our defender and cause us to stand, upheld by his mercy. How firm a foundation! Trusting in Jesus as Lord, the soul that is trusting in Jesus as Lord will press on enduring the darkest of storms. And though even hell should endeavor to shake, he'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. He'll never. you guys are here with us and uh, thankful that there is no technical difficulties with God. Amen. Amen. We're glad to be able to worship with you guys. Um, if you grabbed a program, you might notice that there's some post-it notes in there. Save those uh, for the end of the service. We're going to do something with those. And uh, again, this is a family service today, so I hope you have your kiddos with you. Um, if not, they're probably safe in the building somewhere. Um, but hey, if, if, if you just feel like they're going to be too squirrely or you need to get up or whatever... We're, we have, uh, hopefully, this 
um, service in streaming in the back there on the TVs, if not sound at least, so that you can hear what's going on. Just want to encourage you guys. Let's just be together this morning. We've already had breakfast together, and uh, and let's enjoy one another in the presence of God. Amen. 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 Higher than the mountains, higher than the mountains that I face, stronger than the power of the grave, constant in the trial and the change, this one thing remains your love, your love never fails and never gives up. Your love never fails and never gives up. It never runs out on me. Your love never fails and never gives up. It never runs out on me. And on and on. And on and on and on and on it goes. For it overwhelms and satisfies my soul. Never fails and never gives up. It never runs out on me. 
Father, we thank you that your love never fails. God, we thank you that we can be together this morning. We thank you uh, that you are with us. We thank you, God, that uh, you are in control and you are working in each one of our lives this morning. We praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. As we continue in worship this morning, we're going to take our, our regular offering. Later in the service, we'll take a special offering for Operation Christmas Child uh, to send those, all these boxes out to children around the world. But this offering we are about to take is, is our regular offering to go toward God's work in and through Crosspoint. 16% of it is going to go toward missions work outside these four walls. It's going to go toward children's ministry and student ministry, community groups, this service. It's going to go toward God's work locally through this ministry, globally, through our mission efforts, it's going to go toward God's work. So we don't, we don't give to pay an electrical bill. We don't pay, or we don't give to pay the internet bill. We give so that God can change lives, so that the good news can take up new ground, so the kingdom can advance. And so that's why we give, and that's why I encourage you to give. And, and I'll pray for it here in a minute. We'll show an Operation Christmas Child video reminding us of part of our service, of the mission effort of of what we're giving to later in the service. But let me pray. We'll take up our offering. We'll watch this video and we'll pray over these boxes. Father God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your goodness, your grace. I pray that as we give, that we would give generously and faithfully and sacrificially and cheerfully, God. We wouldn't give out of obligation or out of compulsion or out of guilt, but we would give in response to what you've given to us and you've given to us so much through your Son. And I pray that uh, that as we give, that you would take what is given, Lord, multiply it and expand it and use it to store up treasure in heaven, use it to, to change lives, use it to, to reach people, to build disciples. And, and Father, may you be glorified in all of it. May, may in our giving, not only may you change us, but may you change others in the process. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. It's the power of a simple gift. These gifts are going to bless the children in a great way. With these very simple gift boxes, the kids look very excited and very happy. This is Christmas! It's the power of love shared through a shoebox. This is for you. When they count to three, they all open at the same time, and there's a big burst of energy. When they receive a box, it is a message of the gospel. It's a message of eternal hope. A little gift like this means everything in the world. For over 20 years, Operation Christmas Child has delivered hope to children desperate for the power of the gospel. And God gave his son to this world. I'm in a school in Bosnia. On the wall behind me are bullet holes and shrapnel holes. They just distributed many gifts to these kids. And to take these shoe boxes and see the little hearts pierced and see it followed up with the truth of the gospel is so important. You'll cry a million tears, but it's worth every mile, it's worth every, every effort that's went into this. What began as a mission to children in one country has grown to reach over 100 million children worldwide. 100! The mission to share God's greatest gift, His Son, Jesus Christ. 
So many children became Christian. So many families turned to the Lord. Jesus said that you don't light a candle and put it under a bushel. You put it so the whole world can see. Sparking new churches, new ministries, and new ways to reach children for Christ. It's not just you give a box and we walk away. This is long-term spiritual effect that we're having on these communities and on these countries. This is the celebration. This is the time to get ready. I've seen how the spark has been lit, and this is just the beginning of it. This is the time to reach the next 100 million. Sun Chasers kids, if you want to come make your way up front, right down here in front of the stage, come on up. Come all on up, right up here in front. While they're coming, I just want to thank you again, everybody who donated all of the supplies so that we could pack shoe boxes. We had a lot of fun packing last week, lots of excitement, a little bit of crazy, but we're getting better at it each year, and it's a great project. Um, so thank you for all that you brought. It's always fun to see all the kids having fun packing boxes. Um, this year, I was especially touched by some of the fifth and sixth graders who partner with our little ones, with the uh, three and four-year-olds, and just seeing them um, really just love to reach out to the little ones and helping them make choices through the line, and um, that they're just ministering in that way. That tweens class is a great group, and so that was neat to see. So kids, thank you for packing. Do you want to know how many we packed last week? Are you dying to know? Have you been thinking about it all week long? I didn't get any emails from you, but I do want to tell you, we packed, get ready to cheer, 230 boxes. That is a lot of boxes. There's more than that here because more have come in this morning. Um, there were some that were dropped off by a couple of different churches in the area. So I'll have a final count for you. Um, later this week on how many got sent out from here. But that is a ton of boxes that we packed last week. So thank you. And kids, I just want to remind you guys. So show me your hands. Raise your hands up to me if you were here last week and got to pack boxes. I think most of you were. Your hands, when they reached into that box and went through the line, you went through and picked out soap to put in your boxes, right? And toys, and toothpaste. There's toothpaste down in there in the bottom, but your little hands picked up all the way through that line and put things in each box, didn't you? And I saw you talking together and choosing carefully which Hot Wheels for little car to put in the box, and you made such careful choices, didn't you? And I want to tell you that on the other, on the other side, this, these boxes are going to go on planes and boats, water buffaloes, I don't know, camels. I, I've seen all kinds of pictures of ways that these boxes go. And they're going to go all over the world. And on the other end, when a kid, a little boy or girl just like you, opens their box, their little hand is going to pull out a soap and a toy and a toothpaste and all those same things that your hands picked out. Their little hand is going to take that out and have that gift. 
And that's an amazing thing. And the most important thing that you know that's going into that box, you can shout this out with me if you know what's going in there because I asked you last week, is the Word of God, the Bible, is going to go in there in their own language, isn't it? And that's exciting. That's why we send these boxes because each of these boxes can share the Bible and share the good news about Jesus with a kid a long ways away from us. So that is awesome. Mason and Faye, if you guys want to make your way up, right beside me. Um, A few weeks ago, Mr. Joel encouraged you with some words. And so I want to see if you remember these and can repeat these after me. God gives good gifts. God's gifts are great. God-given gifts are good and great. That was pretty good. Should we try saying it all together like we did a couple weeks ago? Let's say it all together. God gives good gifts. God gives good gifts. God's gifts are great. God's gifts are great. God-given gifts are good and great. Good job. And these gifts, these shoeboxes are God-given gifts. They've been given to us so we can pack them. And now we get to share these God-given gifts, and those are great because they're going to go out and share the gospel. So let's pray together for the kids who are going to receive these boxes. Your friends Mason and Faye are, have volunteered to pray this morning, and we're going to let ladies go first. So if you would fold your hands and close your eyes, and we will pray all together for these shoe boxes. Please let all the kids that get these shoe boxes. Be filled up with your love and kindness and goodness. Please let them share the love of God with their relatives and friends and family. Please let them have the love of God with all their friends and so that we can have lots of kids know God. Dear Lord, um, I pray that all the kids that get these shoe boxes come to know Jesus and they know that he was resurrected and um, that last Sunday when every kid left that they understood it doesn't just put a smile on the kids that got the boxes, it also puts a smile on Jesus' face and ours. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Kids, before you go back to your seats, you can find a helper who's holding a bucket of some activity pages and pick one of those out if you would like one before you head back to your families, Okay. Thank you, everybody. Good morning again, and uh, welcome to Crosspoint. Hopefully your kids are able to come back and find you somewhere. Hopefully you're not hiding as a parent right now. Um, but today is a unique Sunday where we have a family Sunday all together in one room. This Thursday, this week, you might be gathered in homes trying to squeeze around tables, card tables, kids' tables, adult tables, and trying to squeeze all in one room. Uh, so we thought it would be fitting for us to do that today on the Sunday before Thanksgiving to all be together as a church family, uh, kids and all, all in one big room. If you have a Bible, get to Genesis 37. I'm preaching for 50, 55 minutes, so settle on in, okay? 
No, it's like 25, 25. I, I was once there. We have two teenagers now, but I was once there. So we'll go 25 minutes. We'll finish with worship and, uh, and celebrate. So Bible get to Genesis 37. Next week, we finish up our series, The Story Begins. Then the Sunday after that, we're going to start a new series called God Delivers. That will take us through um, the end of February and take us through the books of the Bible of, of Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy and take us through parts of those books. And so that's, that series starts on the 6th. Whether you're in a community group or not, I'd encourage you to get resources for that new series. So there's adults resources, student resources, four bucks for a resource. And it's a great way the other six days of the week to talk about the scripture, to, to, uh, whether you're in a group or not, talk about it with friends, household, roommates, to study it, ask questions, get into it beyond just Sunday mornings when I'm talking all the time. So get that resource today. They'll be available over the next couple weeks. In Genesis thus far, we've been looking at the family of Abraham, God's covenant family. We've, we've followed the patriarchs, if you will, and Abraham. Uh, we began with Abraham, then his son Isaac, and then his son Jacob. And then today and next Sunday, we're looking at the, at, uh, at the next line of Joseph. And the line of uh, the story of Joseph is one of the most powerful in all of Scripture, a great story of suffering and temptation and forgiveness, God's providence and faithfulness through it all. Uh, you name it, you name the subject, it's probably in there. And so this week, I'd encourage you to read Genesis 37 through 50, get into those 13 chapters and get the story of Joseph and look at it, especially before this next week. Today's message title is this, The God Whose Plan Involves Suffering. The God Whose Plan Involves Suffering. And we listen to that and we go, yes, I can't wait for this. I mean, let's do this. It's the beginning of Thanksgiving week. I cannot wait to talk about suffering. Woohoo! right? right? Let's be honest. This isn't a fun subject to talk about. We don't have to live very long or follow Jesus very long before we realize that this life is not free from hardship or suffering. Suffering is a storyline that we see throughout Scripture. Looking at the book of Psalms, you most definitely see this. You see this theme of, uh, uh, God, where are you? These kind of prayers. Or, God, why are the unrighteous prospering? And why are the righteous suffering. God, why is this? You see this throughout Psalms. And suffering in our lives comes in a multitude of ways, right? There's physical sickness and disease. There are emotional scars from people sinning against us. There's relationship brokenness. There's loneliness and injustice, trials and tests that come out of nowhere. And in those moments, we may wonder what the purpose is in them. We may wonder how God can use suffering to fulfill His plan, his purposes, how God can use suffering to change us. And yet we'll see in the story of Joseph, both this week and next week, that God is able to use suffering. He's able to redeem it. He's able to, uh, to use it in us. He, and he's a God who does not forsake his people, even in the suffering. So what we see in the life of Joseph is a continual trust in God, trusting in God's plan for the future trusting in God's ways of preparing us for that future, and also trusting in God when God may seem absent. Today we'll be looking at Genesis 37 and then 39. Joseph was the youngest of 12 sons. He was the youngest. He was dad's favorite. He was dad's favorite. Kids, if you're the youngest in your family, if you are the youngest in your family, go ahead and raise your hand. Adults too, all right? Okay, lots of young ones. Okay, get your hands down. 
if you believe you are dad's favorite or mom and dad's favorite, like you were the favorite child, go ahead and raise your hand. I'm raising my hand. I believe it. Okay? We're not live streaming today, so I don't think my parents can see this. Um, <clears throat> all right. So those are the Josephs in the room. Those are the Josephs in the room. What we've seen throughout Genesis is parents play favorites with their kids, right? And today is no different. Joseph was the favorite. And as a result, we'll see this fact did not sit well with the older brothers. We'll begin in uh, 37 verse 3. Now Israel, meaning Jacob, loved Joseph more than any, of the, any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. So they couldn't even carry on a conversation with him at Christmas here in a month or so. If you have multiple kids, you're always worried about, oh, we've got to keep it even. They're opening three, and they're opening four, and oh, and we spent this amount, and we've got to make sure it's even, and you're doing all that. Not here. Not here. Joseph is the one who gets the multicolored robe, and the rest get oranges, okay? Or walnuts, if you ever got that in your stocking. We realize that the brother's hatred for their younger brother is only going to continue to grow. Joseph is dad's favorite. And now we get into verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. So Joseph has this fancy coat, the biggest present given to him. And now he's having these dreams. And in his, in his dreams, his older brothers, even his parents, were bowing down to serve him, to worship him. And if you're the youngest in the family, this is your greatest dream, is it not? Like, this is maybe if you're the adult or the, the uh, parent, the older siblings, this is what you're anticipating this child's been trying to do since they were born, trying to become the center of the world. And so this is the greatest dream of the youngest. Joseph, having these dreams where all the oldest is going to come down and serve him and worship him. And all those dreams are ultimately predicting what's going to happen. And you'll get into that next week. And if you get into the scriptures this week from 37 to 50, you'll see that unfold about how the family ultimately does bow down to serve him. And yet in, the, in that moment, Joseph is going to be gracious and kind and merciful in those moments. At this point in the story, though, the brothers hate Joseph. He gets all the cool presents from dad. Now he's having these dreams where all the older ones are serving him. They're jealous. They're proud. They want the little baby of the family out of the family. And after these dreams, Genesis 37 tells us that the older brothers get sent off to uh, take care of the sheep. They get sent off to shepherd. And later on, Joseph gets sent by his dad to go check on the brothers. 
And then verse 18, it begins with, they saw him from afar. So the older brothers saw Joseph from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of these pits. Then he will say, then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. This is like a cold and heartless older sibling response, is it not? Shove little brother into a hole, leave him for dead, no water. What'd you bring for lunch? You, let's have a picnic. Do you do, I, I brought a PBJ. What, do you want to switch? Let's, have, let's eat here. You can see the condition of their heart. And again, I want you to feel this angst in here where the older brothers are completely evil to the little brother. Because then the story, you'll understand the story that much more next Sunday to, to fully realize the grace and mercy that Joseph is going to extend to his brothers. Verse 25, And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead which, with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let, us not, uh, let not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. So instead of killing Joseph, they sell him off as a slave for 20 shekels of silver. And his new slave owners take him to Egypt. The brothers then fake the death of Joseph. They put goat blood all over the robe. They bring it back to dad, back to Jacob. And Jacob assumes that, well, my son has been eaten by ferocious wolves. He's, he, must have been, he must have been killed. The brothers are so evil in this. And while Joseph may be an annoying little brother, he did not deserve this kind of treatment. And yet, through it all, God was preparing him for the future. He was preparing him for what will come eventually. God's process of preparing us for the future is not always how we, how we would envision it, Right? For instance, that process of preparing us also often includes waiting. And we don't like waiting. But in Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, we see how God uses waiting. Thus far in the story, we've seen parents wait for 25 years for a child. They wait 20 years for a child. All right, we've seen later in Scripture, we'll see shepherd boy David had to wait long before he was King David. We'll see Peter and the apostles wait for the Holy Spirit. Us in the New Testament church, we are waiting for the second coming of Christ. We wait. The waiting's hard. But the waiting is one way that God prepares us. In the waiting, our trust in God can increase. Our trust in God's plan for the future can increase. In the waiting, God can work in our hearts and souls differently if we had not waited. I think we learn to pray in the waiting, don't we? When things aren't just instantly resolved, that's when we learn to pray. 
And so at this point in the story, Joseph is sold into slavery in Egypt. Now we jump to Genesis 39, and we find out that God has not forsaken Joseph. He's actually used the injustice of his brothers to place Joseph into a place of authority. Verse 1 in Genesis 39, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites, had bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his, of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. The Lord was with Joseph. I love that phrase. It's a reminder that even in the pit, even in slavery, even when it seems like all hope is lost, where's my family? My family's rejected me. The Lord was still with him. He's still at work. He's still showing favor in all that he does. It seems like the suffering and injustice is over now, right? Verse 6, So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, and my, ma because of me my master has no concern about anything in, in the house. And he's put everything that he has in my charge. He's not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept anything from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as he spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment and saying, lie, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of the household and said to them, see, He's brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as, he, as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Verse 16. Then she laid up his garment by her until his, laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us, came in to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him, put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. Joseph is faithful here, is he not? He is a man of integrity, a man of honor. He's honored God. He's honored his boss. He's honored this woman. He's honored himself. He's honored his future. He is a man of integrity and faithfulness and still gets thrown in jail. See, we sometimes assume that if we're faithful to God and obey God really, really well, it will lead to automatic blessing. That we'll be healthy. 
wealthy, that trouble will never come our way, but the reality is, is it just isn't true. Is there blessing in obedience? You bet there is. There's freedom in Christ. There's, there's freedom and joy when we're not chained up to our sin and under a burden of, of our sin. But that doesn't mean that we won't sometimes obey, that we won't be faithful to God. We won't have times where we, where we do right biblically. We do exactly what God has called us to do in Scripture, and yet we still walk through suffering. We still might walk through injustice. Because remember, we are in a, or looking at the life of Jesus. He was perfectly faithful, perfectly obedient, and he was still killed. If you look at the uh, chapter of, uh, of 11 of Hebrews, Hebrews 11 this week, stories of great faith, stories of God doing miraculous things. But if you read the whole chapter, you read at the end, it didn't go well for some. Some were sawn in two. Maybe that's enough for you to go read that chapter. You should read the whole chapter because sometimes being faithful to God, it still didn't go well for them. Because remember, we're in a covenant relationship with God, not a contract. If we had a contract with God, it wouldn't go well for us because we're going to blow it. Because we're going to notoriously blow it. We're not always going to get it right. But that's the beauty and good news of a covenant relationship, though, because God, through Christ, covenants with us and says, I'll always be faithful to you. Yes, you'll experience trouble in this world, but take heart, for we serve and worship a God who has overcome this world and promises to all who trust in Him and repent of our sin and believe the good news and follow in obedience, promises to all those that one day the suffering will end. One day, no tears, no sorrow, no death, no injustice, no loneliness, so even when God seems absent, we can trust in His presence. We can trust in His Word that says, I have not left you alone. You don't have to face the dark, the, the night alone, because I am your God and I am with you. Just as He was with Joseph, so He is with those who, of us who trust and follow Him. Verse 21, so He's in prison, verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph. Again, we see this phrase, and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So again, although he's thrown into prison, God uses that, uses that injustice to providentially place Joseph into this place we're exactly where God wanted him, this place of influence and authority. We see in the life of Joseph a willingness to trust God's plan for the future. We've seen in Genesis thus far that people have struggled to do this, right? Ever since Adam and Eve, God gives them a command, do not eat from this tree. This command is for your good, it's for your life, it's for your future. And yet, no, I'm going to trust in myself instead. And we struggle to trust God's ways are the best. Or with um, uh, Abraham and Isaac, we, we see maybe the flip side where, where, yeah, they had some moments of distrust, but they also had moments of, okay, God, we're going to trust you, that you promised offspring, and even if we wait 25 or 20 years, that offspring will come. We're going to trust you in this, God. 
you see this internal battle played out in hearts of, am I going to trust in God for, the, for my future or am I going to trust in myself for my future? And that's still the same choice that is before us, especially in suffering, especially in waiting and injustice. Are we going to trust in God in His ways and His purposes and that, that he, in His character and that He's faithful? Or are we going to trust in ourselves and forsake God? Are we going to assume that somehow God has changed who He is and forsaken us? Or are we going to trust that God has not changed? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's, just as He was faithful to Joseph, He will be faithful to me as His follower. Pastor Jeremy Treat from L.A. said this regarding uh, suffering in God's presence. It's longer, but it's so good. Followers of Jesus are bound for glory. But what is true for Christ is true for those who are in Christ. Glory comes through suffering. Paul says that as co-heirs with Christ, we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Our world operates according to the logic that weakness and power are opposites. But the cross turns this concept on its head. Christ said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. It's not that God's power is made perfect despite our weakness or after we have suffered. No, His power is made perfect in our weakness. God certainly can and does display His power through healing and intervention, but it's through weakness that we learn to cling to God's strength. And the weakness that Paul speaks of does not refer to sinfulness, but to the adversities of ordinary life and the difficulty of transition. God is our constant. In the frailness of old age, God is our strength. In the darkness of depression, God is our hope. God is not waiting for us on the other side of suffering. He meets us in our suffering. He finishes with this. This doesn't make suffering easy, but it does make it meaningful. God is with us in our suffering. He transforms us through our suffering, and one day He will put an end to our suffering. What a beautiful promise that He's not only with us in it, but one day it's over. One day it's over. In the life of Joseph, God used injustice and suffering to accomplish His plans. It was meaningful. It had a purpose. This whole story of Joseph shouts to us the name of Jesus. Because in the life of Jesus, we see the supreme example of God using injustice and suffering to accomplish His purposes, His plans. His plan of salvation. Jesus, the promised Messiah, would be the one who would bear the weight of our sin, who would suffer and die a death that wasn't His to die. Jesus, the sinless, would die for the sinful. Jesus, the righteous, would die for the unrighteous. Jesus, the blameless, would die for the blameful, you and me. And yet, just like in the story of Joseph, we see God raising Him up and exalting Him to a place of authority, a place of influence, where Philippians 2 tells us where one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If Joseph's brothers had not sold him as a slave, if that group had not brought him to Egypt, if that group had not then sold him to Potiphar, if Potiphar had not shown him favor, if Potiphar's wife had not tried to seduce him, if if Joseph hadn't been faithful in that moment and fled temptation, 
if he had not been thrown into prison as a result, if all these things had not happened, he would not be in a place, in a position of influence where he was eventually. And next week you'll find out that because he was in this place of influence and authority, that he never would have been on his own. Lives, generations were saved. Some of you feel like you're in a pit or prison right now, a very low place. Can I encourage you that God has not left you? He has not forsaken you. His grace is at work even in the pain so that your devotion, your love for Him that would, would increase, that you would cling to Him that much more than you did before, that you would realize that His grace is sufficient, that when blue skies and everything is going well, you may not have realized it to the degree that you do now in the midst of gray skies and suffering. So may we be people who trust God for our future, trust in His ways of preparing us for that future. And when He seems absent, may we be reminded that He isn't. He's given us His Holy Spirit and that He is with us. He is a good and gracious God, a powerful God who can even use suffering to accomplish His purposes, not only in this world, not only through us, but in us and in our own hearts and in our own souls. Uh, Father God, we thank You that Your plan involves suffering. We thank You that You do not leave us in the midst of suffering. We thank You that one day our suffering is over and we can enjoy rest and delight and no more suffering for eternity. Thank You that You are faithful to us. Thank You that You are good to us. I thank You for the promise that You are, just as You were with Joseph, so You are with us because You've given us Your Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us as your people. We're grateful for who you are. We're grateful that you don't change. We're thankful for a covenant relationship with you. And so God, where you're using suffering in our lives or injustice or, or just wrong, where you're using that to prepare us for the future, help us to say yes to that and to be open to that. Sustain us. Give us endurance. Give us a peace that surpasses all understanding. And help us as the family of God to walk with one another, to bear one another's burdens, and to be the family of God in practical ways as we follow you, as we trust in you, as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we close today with singing, uh, the band could come back up now, uh, we're going to respond in a couple ways. One is that we're going to take our offering for Operation Christmas Child to send all these 230-some boxes out to children around this world. So I encourage you to give generously for that. Secondly, in your program, you've got some post-it notes. There are also post-it notes and pens back behind those glass boards. What I'd encourage you to do during these last couple songs, especially if you've got kids or even if you don't, either way, take these post-it notes. What are you thankful for? What are you thankful for? And write that down. Write multiple things down. And then stick them on the glass boards as you walk out of the service after we get done singing. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says this, Give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. Not just some, but in all. So even in the suffering, even in the waiting, we give thanks. And even in the winning and the blue skies and everything is going great, we give thanks and we resist this sinful temptation of ours to say it's about us, to trust in ourselves, but instead we declare it's about you. And so I just encourage you to tangibly write things down. 
Lord, I'm grateful for this. I'm thankful for this. We're thankful for this as your household. We give thanks in all circumstances because in all circumstances, He has not left us alone. Psalm 107.1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. So record what you're thankful for as we stand up and sing and give generously to to what God is doing through Operation Christmas Child. Stick those thankful notes on the boards as you walk out and let's stand up and let's worship our Lord. Lift your eyes, lift your eyes to the one who's reigning over us for he has overcome. Fill the skies, fill the skies with a song As heaven sings along to glorify the sun Who is like you, none compare There's no one like our God Great and great to be praised Name above all other names Powerful and strong to save over us, his daughters and his sons. Made alive, made alive, now we're free, rescued and redeemed, victory is won. Who is like you, none compare, there's no one like our God. Great and greatly to be praised, name above all other names. Strong to say, Hallelujah, our God reigns glory, glory in the highest place, King of mercy, God of grace. Together, let the earth proclaim, Hallelujah, our God reigns, our God reigns. We lift, lift our Son, lift our voices and sing as one. Let the earth proclaim, hallelujah, 
I want to encourage you guys to go back and do those post-it notes as we close out with this last song. Teach us to give thanks in all circumstances. Thank you that in all circumstances you are God and you are good to us. You are gracious to us. You are faithful. You are strong. You are majestic. You are mighty. So Father, help us to worship you well this week. In family gatherings, help us to be salt and light and to be a witness to our world. Give us the right words. Open up doors for your message, your testimonies to be shared, God. And may you be glorified this week. 
Thank you for these boxes being sent out. I pray they'd impact children around this world. Grow a thankful heart in us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Thanksgiving. Have a great week. God bless.